51. Thank you, baby. Good job. Psalm 51. And I, I really feel kind of bad because this is, this is kind of the highlight. It's kind of the high point of this four-part message that we've, we've been on. Uh, I hated this morning that we had to end on, on consequence. And we just got to look at forgiveness so quickly. Uh, but Psalm 51 is where we get to the, the good part of this journey of David. Forgiveness, it is the most essential and the most blessed and the most difficult thing that God ever did for humanity. It is the most essential because it keeps us from eternal hell and gives us joy even in this life. It is the most blessed because it introduces us into fellowship with God that goes on forever and ever and ever. And it is the most difficult because it cost the Son of God his life on a cross. Forgiveness. It is the most essential, the most blessed, and the most difficult thing available to us. And so the question before us this evening is how do we respond when we have failed big time? How do we respond when we, we look at our life and we realize that we have made a, a very poor decision? How do we respond when we have this guilt in our heart and it just seems too much for us to bear? How do we respond when we are discouraged on a regular basis because of the failure in our past? See, I think there are two perspectives on sin, and both of them take us outside the will of God. The first perspective that I believe is rampant in our culture is that sin is really no big deal. Sin is really no big deal. And there are many folks, there are many Christians, there are many churches who are trying to belittle sin and say it's really not a big deal on your life. Because we have forgiveness through the blood of Jesus Christ, sin is no big deal. Praise God for forgiveness. Now you go out and live any way that you want to live. And that is, folks, just honestly, that is the way a lot of preachers preach. They don't preach about sin. They don't preach about the standard. They don't do that. But they do preach about love, and they do preach about grace, and they do preach about mercy. And so people leave the sanctuary, and they're buying into the lie that sin is no big deal. Paul said in Romans 6, he was facing the same issue, and he said, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? And so the question is this, because we have grace, should we sin even more so that we can have even more grace? Do you get the picture? Let's just go sin, 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 because the more we sin, the more we experience grace. And then he says, by no means, may it never be. That is against God. If we are living a life that honors the Lord Jesus Christ, we will hate sin. It will be a part of our life that we will, we will fail, we will mess up, and we will sin. But when we do, we will be broken because of it. And so there's the one side that says, you know what, I can do what I want to because it's no big deal. But then on the other extreme, there's the side that says, I can never move past the sin in my life. And there are many folks 
who are living in this, this bondage and they are living in this, this, this sorrowness, this grief, this, this burden that they're bearing because of a sin that they committed years and years and years ago. And it may be that there are some in here this evening and you sinned, you did something you knew was wrong, but you have repented of that sin hundreds of times. Hundreds of times you have brought that sin before the Lord and you have confessed that sin and you have acknowledged that sin and you have repented of that sin. But then you leave and you pick it up and you carry the burden and the bondage around with you for the rest of your life. And just like the first one is wrong, I want you to realize that that is wrong also. You see, what that does is it belittles the crucifixion of Jesus. When Jesus died on the cross, his blood is big enough for any sin that you could ever commit. His blood is enough. It's enough to cover the murder. It's enough to cover the adultery. It's enough to cover the sins of a Hitler. It's enough to cover the sins of a child molester. It's enough to cover any sin that you could possibly think of. That is the power of the blood of Jesus. And so if you're going through life and you're holding on to past sin that you have already repented of, that you have already confessed of, then you're living outside the will of God. And that will cripple you in your spiritual journey. So let's look tonight, how do we respond when we've sinned? How do we respond when we have failed? And we'll move quickly because I know you've heard too much of me lately. So let's look at it. Let's look at it quickly. Number one, I want you to see this. Forgiveness, David, you don't have to wave and agree with that statement. I see you back there. Number one is this. Forgiveness is based upon the character of God. If you're taking notes, that's something good to write down. Forgiveness is based upon the character of God. We see this in verse 1 and 2. David is speaking, even at the top of it, what, is, what does it say? Look at the top of the text. Mine says, a psalm of David when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. And so all the last three weeks, everything we have looked at the last three weeks, it leads us to this point. And so this is the response of David. This is the man that we have been waiting for. And he says in verse 1, he says, have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. I want you to notice if you, if you highlight, you circle in your Bible, I highlight in mine, have mercy. According to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy. You see, what David is doing right here is he's going back to a text in Exodus 34. Exodus 34, it says, The Lord, a God of merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression, transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. David knew this verse, and he knew that there are some who will find forgiveness based on some mysterious work. And David longs to be one of those who finds forgiveness. And so he calls out to what he knows is the character of God. And the first thing he calls out to is 
mercy. He says, have mercy on me according to your abundant mercy. David knew that there was nothing that he could do except for to cast himself before God. Mercy, it means that there is, there is no claim to the favor that he begs of. It means that David knows that he does not deserve to be forgiven. David knows there is nothing that he could ever do to earn the forgiveness of God. Mercy is totally based upon the character of God. Mercy is something that you do not earn, and it's something that you do not deserve. It is on the character of the Father. I remember when the boys were younger, we would play video games, and we'd play basketball, or we would play baseball. And I would, at that point, I could still beat them. Now I can't beat them. I'd try. We, we played so many basketball games this weekend, and I tried to beat those boys, and they beat me all except for one. I had one win. But I, that's not a, that's not. The point here, the point is, when they were young, I could still beat them. And we would play, and I would start to get my lead going, and I'd be winning, and all of a sudden I would see that their smile was gone, and so I would take it easy on them, and I'd let them get to where they were two or three points ahead, and they would win, and they'd be so excited, and then I'd say, buddy, you beat me good. You are so good at this. Mercy, they didn't earn that. It wasn't something that I had to do, but it was something that I did because I loved them. Listen, forgiveness, forgiveness is nothing that you can earn. You can't be good enough. Sometimes we like to play this game and we like to say, well, as long as I don't do these big sins, then I can kind of earn my forgiveness. Listen, have you ever told a lie? Have you ever thought a thought that you shouldn't have? Then you have broken the law of God. And there's nothing in you that should earn forgiveness. But then he claims to the steadfast love of God. The unfailing love of God. You see, humans, we fail in the relationship with God, but God is faithful to his commitment to us, and his love never fails. The devotion of God towards us never quits. Do you remember the story of the prodigal son? The prodigal son, he says, Dad, I want what's coming to me. I want my inheritance. And the father gave the son the inheritance. Bible says he goes out and he wastes this money just with wild living. The money runs out and there's a severe famine in the land. You remember? And then so then he goes and he finds himself feeding the pigs. Not a good job for a little Jewish man. But he's feeding the pigs here. And the Bible says he came to himself and he thought about his father. And he thought about the character of his father. And he said, how many of my, my father's hired Servants have more than enough, but here I am, and I am starving to death. Remember what he said? He says, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to arise. I'm going to get up, and I'm going to go to my father, and I'm going to say, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I messed up. My sins are as high as the heavens. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And so this was his plan. And so he begins to get up, and he's walking. He's making the journey back to the house of his father. And he's going through his mind what he's going to say. Father, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me one of your hired servants. But do you remember what the Bible says? It says, while he was still a long ways off, his father looked, and he saw him, and he ran to him. He felt compassion, and he embraced him, and he kissed him. And he said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven before you. 
But his father said to the servants, bring quickly the best robe. Here's what I want you to see. Our relationship with God, it is not based on how good we are. For the prodigal son, the relationship to the father was not based upon his obedience. The relationship to the father was based on the choice of the father. When it comes to us with God, God does not love you more because you do what's right. You don't earn the love of God. Now, we saw this morning that God was not pleased with David. And so it may be that we're living in rebellion and God is not pleased with our life. It could be that we're going through life and we are grieving the Holy Spirit. The Bible talks about this. But what I want you to see is that you don't earn the love of God in your life. That's why David says, and he appeals to his mercy and his steadfast, unwavering love. The Bible says that our very best is like filthy rags. It says we can never do enough. It says, but God showed his love toward us and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Not when we had it all worked out. Not when we were perfect. He says, I came to seek and to save the lost. I came to get those who need a physician, those who were sick. I didn't come for the perfect. I, I realize you're messed up. I realize you have sin. But God reminds us that he loves us anyway. And so forgiveness, understand it is based upon God. It's not based upon us. It's not based upon how good we are. It's not based upon how much money we give to the church or how our church attendance looks week after week after week. Forgiveness is based upon God. Number two, we see that repentance is initiated through confession. Repentance is initiated through confession. First, confession acknowledges sin. Look at verse 3. David says this. He says, for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. I know my transgressions. I know my sin. It's always there. I cannot get it out of my mind. The tape, it keeps on playing over and over and over again. He says, when I wake up, it's there. When I go to bed, it's there. My sin, it is always before me. And I can just imagine for the life of David, he replays what he's done. He replays his lust. He replays his adultery. He, he replays in his mind what he did with Uriah. He replays the letter that he wrote, and he gave it to Uriah. And Uriah took his own death warrant to Joab. He replays in his mind what it must have been like when Uriah died. And so he says, it, it's, it's always before me. I wonder if you have something like that in your life. You have a sin that happened, and you just, you just cannot quit thinking about it. You know, one thing I believe he's doing is he's acknowledging that sin is a big deal. I think part of confession is to realize that, that my sin is a big deal. I'm not trying to downplay it. I'm not trying to sweep it under the rug. I'm not trying to pretend that it doesn't matter. My sin is a big deal. It's all I can think about. It's always before me. Now, notice this is before there's repentance. After there's repentance, then forget about it. But for the child of God, when there is sin, Isaiah says your sin separates you from God. When we have this separation between us and God, hopefully that our sin is always on our mind. Because that leads us to repentance and it leads us to a restored relationship. So he begins this confession and he's acknowledging his sin. And then the Bible says he confesses it towards God. Look at verse 4. 
He says, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Now, when I read that, it seemed odd to me. Because he says, God, against you have I sinned. You only have I sinned. And and I'm thinking, what about this, this woman Bathsheba? You sinned against her, didn't you? And she lost a son because of it, didn't she? Well, what about your whole family? Did you not sin against the whole family? What about your kingdom? What about society? What about your troops? You sinned against so many people. How can you say that you sinned against God and against God only? But I think the point is this. Anytime that we sin, primarily we sin against God. Our sin is breaking the covenant relationship with God. God said, this is what you need to do. This is my plan for your life. And when we sin, we say, no, God, I know better than what you know. But David says, God, I have sinned against you. You know what else that reminds us? It does not matter what culture says. Culture may say, hey, it's okay to take part in this activity. It's okay to watch these shows that do not honor God. But God says, be holy as your heavenly Father is holy. You see, the standard is God. And earlier we saw that David was only concerned with his cover-up. I've got to cover up my sin. But now his concern is, how could I have done this against God? I wonder if that ever crosses your mind. I know you sin and you hurt other people. Maybe you hurt your spouse or your family. But does it cross your mind that you have sinned against God? Does it cross your mind that when you sin, that is what drove the nails through the hands and the feet of Jesus. That, that is why he had to die. The Son of God left heaven to come on this earth to die in your spot. And the reason why is because of our sin. And so David said, against you, you only have I sinned. And then he goes on and he says in verse 6, Behold, you delight in truth and the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. You see, I believe this about confession. I believe confession comes from a truthful heart. Confession comes when there's a transparency before God. He says, truth in my inward being. In other words, he is laying everything out before God. There's no secret sin. There's nothing that he's hiding back from God. He is, he's opening his heart and his soul, and he's saying, God, look inside of me. Find what does not honor you. Reminds me of Psalm 139. The psalmist says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Search me from the inside out. And look and see if there's anything in me that does not honor you. I want to be honest. I want to be real. I want to be open before you, God. He's talking about true confession. I want you to think about your life for a moment. Is confession a part of your spiritual journey with God? I mean, if you were honest, when's the last time that you were broken over sin in your life? When's the last time that you were just, you were broken over it? And you said, my my sin is always before me. God, I have have sinned against you. I have done wrong. God, I I can't stop until this is fixed. 
When's the last time that was your heart? You were confessing to God. And you were pouring it out and saying, God, if there's anything in me that doesn't honor you, will you show it to me? I think that's missing in our churches today. We'll have a, a church full of people and altars will be empty. No brokenness about the sin in our life. I think many times there is sin and we're not even aware of it. There's sin and we're going on like it's, like it's no big deal because we're not asking God to search us and to show it to us. We're not being open and vulnerable to God. We just keep on going like it's no big deal. You see, in David's confession, he was showing how serious sin is. But confession, number three, confession longs for restoration. The point of confession is that there will be restoration. Look at verse 7. He says, purge me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide my face, hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. He's asking God to cleanse him. You say, well, what is that with hyssop? What that was, it was a branch. And they would go through and they would dip the branch in either some blood or some water. And they would walk through a, a home and they might sprinkle that blood and that water. And it was a way to purify they might take that hyssop and get some blood and water and go over to somebody and they would sprinkle the individual and it was a way that they would be made clean. And so David is saying, God, I want to be clean in my life. And you'll notice he uses the words, wash me so that I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear the joy and the gladness. You know what that means? At this point in his life, there's no joy. There's no gladness. Here's a question for you. Can you live in sin and still have joy? I believe if we're really trying to seek God, when there's sin in our life, there will be no joy. And so David is broken because of his sin. And he says, I don't have the joy. I want to hear the joy. I want the gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. That reminds me there are consequences to sin. The bones may rejoice, but they will remain broken. Did you catch that? These bones are broken. Yes, they can rejoice. Yes, they can come back to the point of praising God, but there will be scars that remain. And so he says, I'm hurting. I'm struggling. I want to be restored to you, God. Lord, I want you to hide my sins from your face. I don't want you to see my sin when you see me. God, it is killing me knowing that our relationship is not what it should be. That's the point of it. I want restoration with you, God. And I think for us, sometimes we can get to the point that we know we're separated from God, but it doesn't even bother us. It's no big deal in our heart. It's no big deal in our life. And then verse 10, he says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. You see, once there's reconciliation with God, then we need personal reconciliation. And you'll see in the text, he says, I need a clean heart. God, I am so sinful. I want my heart to be clean. I want my spirit to be right within me. Don't throw me out of your presence, God. Come in my life and work on me from the inside out. You see, 
with genuine repentance, there's the decision that I am going to change. Did you catch that? You know what repentance is not? Repentance is not having your favorite sin and then saying a quick prayer, Lord, would you forgive me of this sin, but I know I'm going to do it tomorrow and the next day too. Listen, that's not sin. That's how a lot of folks live. David says, you've got to restore a new heart and a new spirit within me because I don't want to do this anymore. And David realizes, I cannot do this on my own. Some have tried so hard to to beat sin, and it's like this constant journey in life to where I know I shouldn't sin, so let me just do my best. Let me just work the best that I can, but it leads to failure time and time and time again, doesn't it? You know what it takes? It takes the Holy Spirit coming into your life and changing you from the inside. It takes the work of God within your life to give us that clean heart and that new spirit. He says, and take not your Holy Spirit. He knows he's saved. David knows that he has salvation, but he wants the joy restored. And uphold me with a willing spirit. God, give me a willing spirit to want to live and to want to do what is right. I'm not talking about just behavior modification. I'm talking about from the inside out. I want my heart to beat for you. I want my soul to long for you. I want my spirit to be all in for you, God. And then the last thing is this. Forgiveness leads to thanksgiving and it leads to worship. Look at verse 13. He says, then... I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. God, if you give me this forgiveness, I'm going to be so excited about it. I'm going to tell others because I know there are others who are living in bondage. I know there are others who have no joy. Let me me share this with others. He says, deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud for your righteousness. Do you get it? When you forgive me, God, I'm going to worship Because of your forgiveness, I'm going to praise your name. Because of your forgiveness, I'm going to sing. Now, look look just a second here. When we find forgiveness, do you know what that does for our life? It gives us something to smile about. Look, it doesn't matter what you're going through in life. I'm not trying to downplay that life gets hard sometimes because it does. But the greatest thing that we have in life is the forgiveness of sin. And so that sets it up to where no matter what we're going through in life, we can put a smile on our face because we know that we have been forgiven of our sin. So David says, I'm going to tell others about you, and I'm going to sing, and I'm going to praise your name because, God, you are so good. My tongue will sing aloud for your righteousness. Oh, Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. He says, God, you don't want to sacrifice. You want my heart. You want me from the inside. Listen, God's not after your money. Some churches might be, but God's not after your money. God's not after your your, your sacrifice. He's not after the things that you can do. You know what God wants? He wants you. He wants everything about you. He wants you to be broken and contrite before him. He wants you to be a man or a woman of true repentance. I want to ask you to close your eyes and bow your head. I just want you to think about it in your life. Where is your forgiveness? 
I wonder if there's sin in your life and you, you, you've realized through the, 